Hey y'all, and welcome to the Herbal Hour. This week we have on a guest that's been on the show before that spoke about shamanism. His name is Miles French, and he's a first-year naturopathic student at the school I go to, National University of Natural Medicine. He's been deeply involved in shamanic healing work for some time and is currently apprenticing with a two-spirit shamanic practitioner of mixed heritage. In this episode, we talk about finding your soul's purpose, finding healing for your inner child and what that means, overcoming traumas that may be limiting us, and the shamanic path through darkness into the light. We dive into shadow work and what that means. And we have a deep, heartfelt conversation about how we overcame struggles and how we find our way back to ourselves when we're feeling lost. Depression and anxiety are a part of life, but how does one deal with these things? Thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Miles. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast again. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be back. We've got some very awesome topics. to. So, Miles, how did you get interested in shamanism and these ancient practices, which are kind of like almost the archaic religion of humanity? At first, my relationship with shamanism was of interest, academic, until eventually I started actually working with shamanic practitioners and I eventually found my teacher, who's my current teacher right now. And um, their name is Jay Medina. Um, They're a shamanic practitioner, a two-spirit practitioner of mixed heritage. And they practice here in Portland, Oregon. And um, and they and their practice uh, has brought forward a healing tradition, which you can learn about online or through me or many ways, um, called the Balansu Way. The Balansu Way is a tradition designed to teach and train um, healers uh, who will use the richness and medicine of that tradition in a way to bring forth their their unique gifts and, and offer their healing or medicine to the world. And so people participate it to, in it to different degrees. Um, and yeah, that's all I'll say about that for now. Um, we'll put links in the description if people want to look at look at Jay's work or look at the tradition more more closely. Awesome, yeah. sounds good. So we have a lot of uh, topics to mm-hmm. go over, and I think we should just go right into a heavy hitter: the idea of an initiation crisis. Mm-hmm. What is your understanding of what many shamanic cultures? Uh, it would be interpreted as an initiation crisis, which is somebody goes through a period of great suffering. Mm -hmm. They kind of go into the underworld in some kind of sense. Mm. Um, And it seems like a terrible time in their lives, but if seen in the right way and the proper things are done, we actually find ourselves all the wiser because of it. Yeah, that's a, it's a very powerful topic um, and one that is unique and very specific to a lot of shamanic traditions, almost all of them. Um, and I will preface this by saying that um, there is a, a path and a journey of a person becoming a medicine person, becoming a shaman, which is uh, very intense and specific. And there's also just all of us as humans having initiation experiences. And in shamanic cultures, um, the path to becoming a shaman is not one that the individual, and, and I'm generalizing here, I don't want to speak for all cultures, mm-hmm. but the path towards becoming a medicine person, um, a shaman, um, is one that is not chosen by the individual. Um, it 
it's one that is uh, called to them. They are called to that work in a really intense way. And what a lot of cultures see the initiation crisis as is that dramatic calling um, that usually starts with um, some sort of illness, whether mental or physical. And it's a, a breaking down of the world, a tearing apart of that person's world. And the consequences for that individual of refusing that call um, can be quite dramatic and dangerous. And this is in a, a basically like a calling that they receive from spirit, from the spiritual world, that they pretty much have an absolute obligation to, to respond to. Um, and it's, it, what's so interesting is that many, almost all of these existing shamanic cultures had their own systems for helping people who receive these calls through them. Those people would start apprenticing or working with uh, another medicine person or a shaman in that community to kind of go through this process, which is lengthy and extremely intense. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what's so so difficult to see um, in our culture today and so many cultures today that have been stripped of their kind of authentic animistic spirituality of the ancestors. Um, we don't have people met like medicine people or these healers, these wise beings, these people who are clear and understand that to help mm. us through that. Um, now, I'm not saying that anyone who has a physical illness or a mental illness crisis is becoming a shaman. In fact, I would stress that that's very rarely the case. But that being said, um, I think initiation happens to all of us, that it, all of us at some point in our lives are going to receive a call to look deeply, to open ourselves up to new things, to heal and move through something. And it's going to be really scary mm. and painful and frightening. And unfortunately, most of us, a lot of us, when we enter those, don't feel like we have the skills or the help to go through it. And it turns into a traumatizing experience instead of a, a growth experience. Mm. There's a really common mythological motif. Uh, Joseph Campbell talks about it. It's mm-hmm. called the period in the hero's journey where there's a refusal of the call. Mm. Right. And we we know this very well in movies. Uh, especially. I love talking about movies because they're kind of like the myths of our generation. So it's that you're watching, you know, the protagonist, the, the, the good guy, the hero of the movie, and he gets this like great opportunity to do something, you know, to go on an adventure, to do the right thing. But there's all these factors where they say, oh, I don't want to, or they make excuses. And always as the viewer, there's this feeling like, come on, just, just, do the thing you because we have like a kind of outside view Uh, it's interesting that our lives are also like that yeah because from within our own selves when we get called to you know the inspired life that we're capable of living there will also be resistance to it yeah and that's an interesting thing to go into why do you think there's resistance to this call to spirituality to for some people doing shamanic practices for doing um, medicine work mm. and they can be subtle refusals. Like, you know, I'm just going to take the safe route and I'm going to do it this way rather than doing it the way, like I really feel I should because this, that, and this, maybe I won't make money. You know, you can make a million reasons why, why do you think people refuse this call? 
yeah. this initiation crisis in a sense? Why do they avoid it? Why do they? Ultimately, because it's terrifying <laughs> and painful. And our egos um, and the stories we tell ourselves about who we are and what is good and where our life is headed are often not necessarily in alignment with what spirit, what the greater mind, the greater great spirit has in, in mind for us and what on a soul level we actually need. But on a conscious level from our day-to-day lives, um, we feel comfortable in our routines. We feel comfortable in what we know. And any big change, any big initiation is going to feel extremely uncomfortable because in that moment, in in a way, there's a, a real death happening, mm-hmm. and it's the death of your old self. It's a mini death of the ego, and death um, is always uh, can be always terrifying, and and there is pain involved. It's not an easy process, and I think people are so resistant because they don't know, they don't have the assurance mm. that something good is that on the other like side. That there's like a light on the other right. side of the dark. They just see the dark, and they're like, they "Oh crap! I need to just." do everything I can do to possibly avoid this. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a really good point. And we don't really have the cultural myth to have a path for that. You know, we were talking about this uh, earlier that it can be argued that a lot of what would be this culture shamans are in mental institutions Mm -hmm. because um, originally a lot of these cultures, they would choose people that had these kind of different, um, what would now be called issues, but they, you know, trained them in a certain way, uh, taught them how to deal with those things. And then they actually use that for good, yeah. but we don't have that cultural narrative. So when something like that starts happening, something unexplainable, we just automatically go to like, oh, I'm feeling really depressed because of this and this. And we interpret it on a very surface level Yeah. instead of looking into yeah. like, what is my spirit missing? Right. Am I not listening to my spirit? Am I going against myself? Right. And we've been, you know, so much of us um, don't grow up in a community that has elders and wise medicine people existing that can teach us and show us how to live that way. Um, And it's why so many people feel empty and spiritually isolated and alone and confused. And they go looking for their answers, um, which would have been in place if we were living in a, in a society or community that had these, these tools and these structures in place. And, um, and that's what, what is also really uh, makes me feel very sad and why I'm very called to help people um, with their spiritual growth and their spiritual paths is that um, spirituality, especially when the... The, these painful callings happen to us can feel extremely isolating um, and confusing because we don't have a context for which to work. I am thinking about some of those indigenous communities. There's a, there's a really incredible movie about how we handle mental illness in this country, specifically psychosis um, called Crazy Wise. It's a documentary. Mm. I'd highly recommend it to all the viewers. And um, just the difference in the outcomes of so many people with um, conditions in the Western sense, like uh, schizophrenia, in when they are uh, welcomed and embraced by the community and not isolated and ostracized, um, just the difference in outcomes for people is remarkable. And so when I when I think about 
um, somebody undergoing that process who, who actually has a real call to be a medicine person and is experiencing symptoms of, um, of psychosis or schizophrenia or hearing voices or experiencing things that other people don't see. In a living indigenous culture, they, that might be recognized at an, at an early age and the med- existing medicine people or the elders would go to that individual or that individual would go to them and they'd be mentored and walked through it. And at the end, they'd come out transformed and ready to use their gifts or this new perspective in an integrated and good way. And here, we don't have those people. We don't have those mentors and elders. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that everyone who suffers with mental illness um, in our culture is being called to be a medicine person. That's, but, but I, I do believe that, that many people are, and they're end up getting traumatized by their experiences because they don't have someone uh, or a culture to help them through it. In fact, our culture is honestly built to disenchant people, to take away people's power, um, and to isolate them. And so it's no wonder that a lot of these people end up just trapped in the beginning stages of that process. Mm. Our culture in a lot of ways is, it's kind of comes from like the enlightenment and this kind of scientific view of life and this fundamental doubt to things. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to things of a spiritual nature, doubt is like probably one of the greatest poisons mm. because if you doubt, you can, you'll never actually try. And if you never try, you'll never have that experience right. that will prove to you that there is a reality beyond right. the one that we constantly experience. Yeah. So people live in, it's been uh, quoted, I love this term, uh, quiet desperation, mm. looking for some kind of meaning yeah. in their lives. Uh, this is, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, and it's something I tell everyone all the time, and I get really animated and excited about it, because if at this point, like p- belief is a funny thing, like because when I, I don't really say that, because for me in my life, and I can't speak for anyone else, I know what I've experienced is real. Like, I know that some of these spiritual experiences I've had, like, nobody could take that away from me at this point. Like, it's much harder for me to imagine being skeptical about the nature of uh, the spirit world or some of these higher forces than it is um, to just believe in them. And so I don't really believe, like, there's not this sense of faith in them because I know that they're real and I know what they can do and I've seen it and experienced it. And the, the thing about it is um, I always tell that to people and I say, if you're on a spiritual journey and you are settling for spiritual experiences that aren't, that don't like show you in a big dramatic way, like what this stuff is and that it's real and that it's meaningful, keep searching and don't settle for anything less. And the good news is um, I fully believe that everyone has access to that, but it may come in different ways. And you, there are, there are certain ways to search it out that are more productive than others. And I've been blessed with many, but that's after many years of seeking and many years of doubt. Um, but luckily I, some part of me knew, (laughs) and I now have a cathedral of experiences that are affirmed every single day for me. Um, so I don't have to walk around with a sense of skepticism or doubt in my mind. Now I am critical, but that's different than being skeptical Mm. to a default. You know, I think there's a key to this. It's have faith first in terms of believe that it could possibly work what you're doing. Mm-hmm. 
and then have doubt later when you kind of, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. wrote down your experiences and then kind of look into with a critical mind. Because if we bring the critical mind into that experience, we actually just won't have the experience. Right. Like how, how can you, and, and I truly, I really believe that spirit, um, brings us experiences when we're open and ready for them mm-hmm. to a degree. <laughs> Sometimes it just throws, just throws it on you all yeah. at once. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that that's seems to actually be more of the rule. <laughs> that that is, <laughs> that's, that's a really good point. I Usually when things go wrong, that, everything that. just, does, <laughs> not everything in our view, but like, it seems that everything just goes wrong at yeah. once. Like, yeah. well, especially this last like week. Yeah. I don't know if people have been feeling these like different energies. I don't know if it's like the spring energies or it's related to astrology mm-hmm. or what it is. But I've noticed a lot of people have really been suffering a lot yeah. in the past week, two weeks. Yeah. Um, and I've noticed that things like compound. It's like, mm. you know, when you're not like ready for, for life, when you feel like in really down low mood, like everything mm. just like piles on you in a way that you can't handle. And it seems like you're just being kind of, you know, crushed from everywhere around you. And what I found was instead of resisting it, which is like the typical reaction is like, all right, just like, you know, keep your mind occupied, you know, just do something, you know, watch a show, listen to some music. I sat with it and just reflected on where is this coming from? Why is this happening? Is there something that I did that's causing me to feel this way? Is there some way I'm not living up to myself or my, uh, ideals. Um, and I think that's exactly what it is because when I kind of took that moment to reflect and go through that process of wondering, like, well, I realized like there was things that I was just, wasn't taking care of myself in ways that I should have. Yeah, Like I wasn't, you know, treating myself with enough love and compassion, um, to, you know, allow myself time to, you know, go out in the forest and just walk around and just breathe and not do anything or to put time to meditate and think about like, um, what my purpose is and kind of reinvigorate, um, everything that I'm doing, because I think if we don't constantly reevaluate our goals and purposes, they become very, like very dry and Mm. meaningless. And even something that was like such a passionate activity that we were so enlivened about one day might become routine. Right. And that is very painful. The spirit's gone. Because then you don't have that motivation, Mm -hmm. but you know, like, in some sense that this is actually what you want. So then I think those times are times to kind of just drop everything if you can. Yeah. And go to the place where you can find your, your calling, your, yourself again, your spirit, what, let your spirit speak to you. And that what, what you're describing and touching on is so important and it's so connected to kind of contemporary shamanic work in so many ways, because it's about, fearlessly or even in the presence of fear sitting with what is for you without any kind of idea of where you should be or where you actually are it's really like sitting with exactly what's alive and I just want through spirituality people to foster the skills so that they can sit with themselves and re-find that balance within themselves like what you did what you described you could have continued to resist, you know, what was alive for you, what was very present for you. But in sitting with it and actually allowing it to tell its story to come forward, that's when you found your way back to that, that place of, of connection and, Mm. and awareness. And I think most of Western culture is about suppression and it's about disenchantment and it's about keeping 
keeping us disconnected from from our authenticity, which mm. is coming through all the time. Right. I mean, there's so many um, distractions. Yeah. There's so many ways to distract yourself that yeah. you might not even, you can go months without even realizing mm-hmm. that you have some deep spiritual disharmony. Yeah. And one day it'll just go oh, and man. pop on you. There and, is then, resistance and then that's real. Is not, uh, and then it's not an option. Then resistance is right. impossible. It, and resistance, always, to me, my eyes, resistance always leads to those moments because it's not actually a way of dealing with anything. You're mm. just delaying your growth. Mm. And the universe, all the universe does is grow. Mm. Like we're always growing, but you can fight it. It's like trying to swim upstream. And... Um, trying to foster in my life um, a life that is not built around resistance, but is about integration, Mm. doing the hard work. It Mm. is hard. It's scary sitting with what's alive and also being open to what life, what spirit has in mind. Cause sometimes my Mm. little confused ego, emotional mind down here doesn't, can't see things clearly, you know? Mm. And uh, I think that's why I love shamanism so much is because it helps us find that clarity Mm. and do so in a way where we're like, we're finding that in ourselves and from spirit, from the higher beings. And um, it's so authentic and it's so Mm. enriching. And and like, there's nothing like um, finding vision and clarity around something that's been causing you suffering. And then, and then feeling that shift. Mm. It, it's such a liberating experience and something that I'm learning to bring into my life so much more and also help other people find. Mm. Yeah. I wonder when you're feeling in like a more like down state or you feel mm-hmm. like you've lost your way, mm-hmm. what's your go-to? This is a great conversation because literally this week has been full of me feeling in a down state. I, I too have had a very emotional week. Um, and just last night, and this morning, I finally did the work that I was resisting all mm. week. I mean, it's hard. I'm in med school. There's not a lot of time to sit with it. But mm-hmm. for me, what ended up being real this time, so when I finally sat down on my altar and I went into my state, my helping spirits came down and they were very clear. They said, follow, follow that pain that's coming out. Follow that discomfort. And so literally, like for me, this, this worked. I, this may not work for everybody, but I... I literally imagined my conscious mind flowing down into my chest. That's where the pain was coming out of following this trail of resistance and, and, and just trying to like, let it out. Like I'm like, I was saying to the pain, I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to hear what this is. Please like, tell me I'm here. I'm listening. I'm present. And I, I found it all the way back to this like inner part of me that was traumatized from past experiences with ignoring my needs. Like you Mm. said, ignoring self-care. There was an inner child, this Mm. younger version of me that was alive in there and was suffering greatly and demanding care and attention because uh, I wasn't, I was ignoring it. And that happened at a young age. I started, you know, ignoring my needs because to fulfill some obligation I felt like I had to fill. And that was still alive for me today. And when I sat with that inner me through this healing process with the help of my helping spirits, my guides or spiritual guides, um, I was able to go into that place and be like, and see it and see myself there 
and see and hear it. And like this, this little me was able to tell me exactly what it needed, Mm. what was wrong. And I gave myself exactly what I needed. Mm. And there was a opening there and a lifting Mm. and that pain dissipated. And Mm. I was left in this moment of connection. And I was like, that was easy. Honestly. I mean, it was just uncomfortable, but it wasn't complex or difficult to do. I didn't need to go anywhere, do anything outside of myself. Like the answer was in there. I just had to sit with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not everyone has those skills right now, but I'm saying it's easy because sitting down and meditating, the whole process only lasted about 15 minutes. Yeah. This whole week I was ignoring that when all I needed to do was sit down and listen to that story. And I'm grateful I have teachers and spirits to help me do that because it can feel scary and overwhelming to people who don't know how to do it. (laughs) Yeah, and the amazing thing is that you know exactly what you need to do. Yeah. But it's actually exactly the thing that you want to do least. Right. And that's almost like a general rule where the answer comes, uh, I've heard, from the place where we least want to look. Yeah. Almost always. Right. And that is scary. Yeah, and that's shadow Fundamentally, work. Fundamentally, <laughs> that's shadow work, yeah. You know, and I, I, wanna, I want the listeners to know, too, that um, when I say that the answers are within you, I mean it. But that doesn't mean that right now where you are, you have the skills or the knowledge or the perspective to get those answers easily. Mm. The truth, your authentic truth, your heart cord, your inner soul knows what it needs to do and it knows what it wants to do. But we are... We are covered in layers of expectation of stories of wounding of trauma that keep us from hearing that and that's okay and it's okay to not right now know how to get down there and that's why we go to medicine people that's why we go to healers um, to shamanic practitioners to wise people because it's okay to need help getting back there and it's okay Mm -hmm. to find help outside of yourself just all those things outside of you they're just trying to get you back to where you're you're mm. in in yourself in a good way like they're just mirrors right and um everything i described like i wasn't able to do that like a couple mm. years ago i had no idea that i could do that <laughs> and it's through my teachers that i found that i can do that and it's available to everyone <laughs> it's about developing a relationship with mm. yourself we yes. think of ourselves as ourselves yeah but if you take you know a few moments to look we have you know this want and that want mm. and this desire and that avoidance. And we're actually really not one. Yeah. I think a lot of the spiritual journey is becoming like integrated, mm. becoming one uh, person. But until that point, we have a tendency to kind of almost tyrannize over our inner child. Yeah. There's this culture of, you know, productivity above all things, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and if you can push that to a certain point, but eventually your inner child and your spirit will rebel. Yeah. And the things that worked, you know, yesterday might not work today. Totally. And that is like scary because a lot of things that we do, they require long-term consistency and building. It's like, mm-hmm. imagine the situation like um, someone, you know, goes to a school or something like that and they're dedicated for like four years. And then in like the fourth year, they realize I actually don't want to do this. That like... That happens to people all the time in in various professions, but they kind of go through with it anyway. And they say, you know, I got this far and I got to keep going. And it's this question of like, what is our highest truth that we can live? And like, 
if that involves making big sacrifices and completely revolutioning, um, revolutionizing our lives in a single moment, then sometimes that's what's needed. And sometimes that's the only thing that can get you out of a bad state. Like somebody in a nine to five, they hate and they just, you know, they, they say they have these plans and they're kind of working at these things. And, you know, one year becomes five years, becomes 10 years at a place where they feel like their soul is being drained from them. Yeah. Um, eventually some people don't make it out and then they have all sorts of, uh, issues, a lot of internal conflict because they kind of resisted that call. They resisted, um, what they themselves wanted out of life. Yeah. Put it aside and said, you know, later, but there is no later. And eventually that kind of force calls out. Yeah. I, um, I think what's really important too is that, um, every moment is fresh. Like every moment is new and that's why stories Mm. patterns, they're useful until they're not. And if you build your sense of worth, your sense of purpose and drive and meaning around a certain story about being a certain way, being at a place in your life, how it's supposed to look, how it's supposed to feel, you're setting yourself up for a lot of suffering and I think what's really humbling and beautiful about the human experience and spirituality that can help us see is that it's a very human thing to wrestle with that, but also that we at every moment have this invitation to not only be alive with what is alive, what is present within ourselves, within the world, but we have the, the opportunity and the possibility to change and transform our lives. And I think Mm -hmm. so much of spirituality is teaching us not only how to sit with the discomfort of the fact that everything's changing, but to give us tools to transform ourselves. Mm. Um, And so I just want to, you know, reiterate that, that um, no matter how, how connected you feel to a particular way of being in the world or how you see yourself, um, Embrace that, but also remember that all of that can be transformed and changed and that uh, most of us have built our stories around lies, illusions, and things that cause us suffering. And we usually did it at a young age, right? And um, that's what that was really insane to me when I started this work is realizing that some of my fundamental operating system ideas about who I was and what I was here to do were really built around trauma and -hmm. built around stories that were not rooted in my authentic self. were not rooted in actual power, uh, coming Mm -hmm. from within. And, um, and that's kind of what we're talking about here too, is like that the little acts of connecting and trying to listen to that inner self are connected to the big acts of, of allowing your authentic true self to come forward in a way that's not, filtered through these stories that mm-hmm. are, that are limiting, that are really cause us so much suffering and are so limiting, um, stories around unworthiness, around what we're supposed to be doing with our lives, around what we're supposed to enjoy, who we're supposed to be around, how we're supposed to act. Most of our ideas of those are not rooted in something that's coming from spirit or our own inner knowing, our own inner self, mm-hmm. our own authenticity. They're usually societal and society has not brought me to a lot of self-actualization or happiness. Yeah. And the difficulty with those uh, stories is they're almost never seen as stories. They're seen as this is just what is. Right. 
Because in a way, mistake a story is true. It's true. Yeah. It's kind of like a half truth. Like yeah. it is the way it has been. Mm. And that's a key distinction to make because that does not necessarily mean that it's the way that it will continue to be. And a lot of those stories that we tell ourselves that kind of come out of uh, childhood from maybe traumas, they're adaptive at that time. Yes. They're actually necessary for us to survive. And yes. this external situation changes and we hold on to that old story because right. it was uh, the way that we're comfortable with dealing. Even if the story is very painful, still at least it's something to cling to that we know and understand. Yeah. That, so that feels better than, you know, maybe just doing something completely differently that, that makes us really uncomfortable even. I'm so glad you brought that piece forward. Um, as much as we can, I want to, as an act of integration and finding wholeness, we need to develop compassion for ourselves mm. and to recognize that those stories we made when we were kids, those inner child wounding points, um, the way we adapted to those, like at that time, very scary, very like totally ego threatening things from a child's mind, those were intelligent responses that any conscious being would have done in that mm. position, especially from a kid's mind. It's just seeing as a spiritual adult now that, okay, these stories, they don't apply to my situation anymore. And they were built out of a perspective that wasn't, you know, wasn't the whole picture. Mm. And now as an adult, as a spiritual adult, what I'm seeking to be, I can go back through and I can critically examine those and be like, you know what? That does not fit who I am anymore. And it doesn't fit my situation and unless I change that, I'm going to keep responding to situations and mm. drawing situations to me that trigger those original wounds. Mm. It's kind of, it's unfortunate, but that's how the, that's how the universe works. So I'm interested. Yeah. Would you be willing to maybe share one of these stories that you yeah. uh, first became aware of? Yeah. Fought with maybe in some sense and then overcame? Absolutely. And, and how that has changed you? Yeah, let me check in and see which one wants to come forward because there's many. <laughs> we all have plenty of faults and we will definitely get into the shadow work aspect because oh, that's definitely. so important. Yes. Well, a, a really big one um, growing up, I to avoid disappointing people, mm -hmm. to avoid the discomfort I felt as a young child sitting with people who were suffering... I believe that the best way to not be scared or uncomfortable was to help try to help them. And what that turned into is me fundamentally being unable to sit with people who are suffering and not try to help them. And what that became later was a codependency where I existed only, I was only comfortable helping other people and not helping myself. Mm. That the only way... I felt meaning like in my life was that, oh, I exist to help others. And if I take any space or time or care for myself, that's being selfish. I'm being selfish. And um, it also connects to like I had terrible boundaries as a child in the sense that I couldn't tell people I felt like saying no or saying I don't want that or I can't help you. Um, I'm not willing to take on your suffering. I wasn't able to say that because it was, it was too uncomfortable because I was too afraid of what the other person would feel about their needs, putting their needs over my own. So I lived most of my life in a very codependent way. 
Um, and the actual, even the thought of like loving myself or like taking time for myself, even when other people could use my care was like honestly painful. Like I would feel Mm. pain in my chest. My heart would hurt. And, um, what I've learned now as an adult uh, or am continuing to undo that original kind of story and wound is that, um, that I have to honor my own needs first, that to actually truly help people in a good way and not just rob them of their opportunity to grow, which is what I was doing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was just jumping in their work for them and doing it for them, not helping myself. They weren't growing. Which hardly ever even works anyway, which is kind of interesting that we attempted anyway. I know. So it's very personal for me and it has a lot of roots with the, I'm really called in this life to be a healer. That's my mm. calling. But that was, that was what I originally thought being a healer was. Mm. And through spirituality, I've learned that that's a terrible way to be a healer, that the best way I can help people is to, to work through my wounds, to take time with myself, to mm. really be in the boat in that way and have strong boundaries so that I can be clear enough to help people from an open, clear mind instead of trying to help people from my own trauma because that's just going to contribute to a cycle of trauma. Mm. You know, so so that's something I'm continually working on. My inner children, my inner self, these beings that are still in me and part of me um, need constant reminders and care of that, you know. Mm. And um, sometimes when I set boundaries with people, it's difficult because I feel like I'm being selfish, I'm being too much, and ultimately, that's coming out of a place of that inner wounding of like, my needs don't matter. I'm here to serve others. And I am here to help others. Mm. But the best way I can do that is to love myself so much and to have so much healing and, and self-respect that that can spill over. And I can show other people how to do that for themselves, mm. you know. And... Um, it's been really intense and it, you know, it's something I'm always working on and probably for the rest of my life, we'll always have the possibility of falling back into those old wounds. Um, mm. but, how does one do work on yeah, that? And how does that yeah. relate to like shamanic techniques? Oh, good. question. Cause this okay. is now we're kind of like bridging, we're yeah. bridging like psychology yeah. and we're bridging like archaic methods yeah. of ecstasy as they yeah. were called to bring yourself out of your body where does that yeah. mean? Like, what's the healing power of these practices to get over these? Yeah. Well, I'll say, you know, a lot of people look at shamanic techniques and they notice the kind of ritualistic nature of them. And I would say from my experience that I believe that the, on a primordial level in our ancestry, in our the way we're programmed and the way we exist in the world, that human beings and our minds and our spirits respond really well to ritual it's a powerful locus of, of change. And mm. it's a, it's a container. The ritual itself doesn't matter. It, what you're doing is you're, you're creating an energetic space where you can, you can alter things, you can change them, you can transform them. So, and, and our minds, our psychology responds really well to that. Like you mm. could, you know, there's something about going through a ritual process with these things that, that can really shift things in our minds. And that's why I think rituals, one of the reasons ritual is very valuable. Um, and so when I talk about shamanic work, I know that sounds kind of 
bad. People don't want to do work, you know, they want to play and I, that's equally as important. And it, it is play, you know, some of the, a lot of shamanic stuff is about play and playing with these things. But when I call it work, I'm talking about a structured process for sitting with myself and sitting with what's alive and what wounds are present, what wounds are ready to come forward because I'm finally ready to sit with them and deal with them. And it's a process of, of sitting down with myself and using tools that I've been taught from my teacher, Jay, or have learned on my own, or have learned from spirits directly, um, and using these tools to, to change those original things in myself. So like, for example, the inner child work, when I talked about earlier, like going into that inner space, that's a very simple process that is extremely powerful. Basically what I did, I went into a meditative trance-like state and did some drumming. You don't need to do that. You can just sit down and do it. And I literally allowed my mind and my psyche with the help of my helping spirits to, to go to the inner child in me. And believe it or not, like they showed up, they were there. I saw them, I sat with them. Mm. and um, I went there and I the ritual process was first hearing their needs understanding from an unbiased clear place what was going on and why they were hurting and then in that space in that inner space I there's a creative and a playful element to it I took my inner child somewhere that is comforting instead Mm. of somewhere that was scary and I gave them things that they needed a sense of companionship, Mm -hmm. a sense of care and love. I played with them. Mm -hmm. I literally like ran around a little forest in my mind with my inner child and, and let them feel joy and comfort Mm -hmm. until they calmed down enough for me to like get through to them that I love them and that they don't, Mm -hmm. uh, that we're not going to do the things that are scaring them anymore and that they're okay and that they're loved and I see them. And then I, 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 you know, I left them in a place where they were feeling good and I came back to my body and I had shifted something, mm-hmm. something had changed and the pain wasn't coming from there anymore. It, it had dissipated. So mm-hmm. that's a pretty simple formula and it works really well. <laughs> yeah. We think of the, uh, the inner child almost, it's like a term in uh, a lot of different psychological systems, especially, yeah. uh, like the Jungian system mm-hmm. as something like abstract, mm. But really what it is, is remember what it was like when you were a kid and right. what you thought? That still exists in you. It that didn't does. go anywhere. Everything just built on top of it. I, I want people to know, and this I'm just going to jump in, uh, like, sorry to interrupt, but like mm-hmm. people think that what I'm describing is a psychological exercise, and to many it will be. Mm-hmm. But from a shamanic, shamanic perspective, absolutely not. I literally like went into a spirit inner world, maybe the spirit world, I think it was in me, but there's no real difference there. And I went to my actual self that w- that is currently existing in me mm-hmm. and almost in a way went back in time <laughs> and changed the, the situations that were causing me pain. To me, mm-hmm. I literally believe that I did that. I kind of know that I did that. Mm-hmm. And to many, you know, that's fine. If you want to view it as a psychological exercise, that's great. But don't disenchant it, you know. It's a real thing. It's It's a real thing. Basically who you are. And the interesting thing too is if you've had, you know, severe stresses, traumas in your childhood, there's a tendency to actually repress all of your childhood because, yeah, because although there may have been great aspects of the childhood, the painful parts make it so hard to even sit with like, how did I feel when I was like seven? And then that brings back that original fear that you never actually 
faced and is secretly yeah. influencing us. So on this topic of um, the codependency, mm-hmm. so that's basically it's a self-preservation mechanism. Yeah. Um, but what it does one is always focusing on the needs of other people. It's a way to adapt to an environment that may be hostile towards you, that that people are very volatile. So if they're very volatile, you have to do everything you can to keep them mm-hmm. like, you know, calm and yourself safe. Mm-hmm. And it works. Yeah. But what it does is it fundamentally trains your psyche to always consider the needs of the other person mm-hmm. and never consider the needs of yourself. Right. And what's really terrifying about that is if you've had kind of codependency issues as a child and, you know, maybe your mid-20s or 30s, you suddenly realize that you have, what you may see that as is you don't actually know what you want because yes. you've never even asked what this you is, want this because that's never even been a consideration. It's always been, what does the other person want from me? What does the other person need from me? What do they expect of me? Because everything has always been outwardly focused on yeah. other people. So you sit down, and I actually had this experience probably a year or two ago where I thought, and it was such a mind blowing insight. I was like, wow, I actually don't know what I want because I've never even asked myself really. Yeah. Like it may have seemed like I want knew what I wanted, but I hadn't really taken that time to see what do I really want? Like separated from what everyone expects of me. Yeah. And that's revolutionary because you realize like I'm seven years old again. I have to train that whole ability to think for myself and be an individual. And I think that's the process of maturing. And when there's like a severe trauma in childhood, I, um, my view on it is that it kind of stunts certain growths. Yeah. So our, our psyche can grow in many different ways. Certain aspects with like a severe trauma can just suddenly be stunted. And it's like, mm-hmm. you might be 45 years old and for the first time realizing that you've been, you know, walking around as a, you know, spiritually inhibited in some kind of way or psychologically inhibited by something that you didn't even see was there. Yeah. And it's, it can be incredibly revolutionary, but also incredibly painful because from that process onward, it's all new territory for you. Like saying no to someone. Yeah. It's difficult because saying no is basically inviting conflict. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and I, I think, People are like, oh, they hear the word codependency. They think they know what that means. But we all live in codependent ways in so many ways, you know. And it, these things don't have to appear as big or dramatic for them to, you know, be affecting you. And when I talk about trauma, too, like all of us have to some degree trauma. Um, some people, it's it, these extreme big events. For other people, it's a long period of time of thinking in a way that is really harmful to me in my eyes, those are both trauma, you know, it's, it's wounding. And, um, I really love that you brought up, you have to go back, you know, you have to go back to that original place. And, um, and the, the good news is, is that, um, we get to be creative and playful with how we do that. And uh, I think the, the dry kind of psychological method and a lot of Western therapy for me doesn't really do much mm-hmm. sitting down and just talking through my feelings. Um, there needs to be a more That's like lively, level one. Yeah. It's like first yeah. get out what you feel. Yeah. That's just level one. Now it's like, let's dive into why right. let's dive into where you're going. Right. And, and like, you need traditions in some sense because yeah. humans over, you know, thousands, maybe 
hundreds of thousands of years have figured out if you do such and such and you live your life in such and such a way, it's really good and it leads to growth. And if you yeah. do this and that, that's really not good. Yeah. So we have a lot of reservoir of knowledge yeah. to draw on. It's I, I really loved how you said that, like, I, and I, I believe this and it's it might be upsetting to hear, but I really believe that most of us don't currently have a good, clear understanding of what we want. Mm. And uh, we convince ourselves and we add so many layers of story and like uh, suppression of our, our own authentic desires and truth that we think we know what we want. And we may even feel like small rewards from doing things that on the deepest level are not good for us, are not what we're here to do. But um, like, it's crazy to me to think about how disconnected and how far away from my authentic ways of knowing I was and, Mm -hmm. um, and how many layers of story I had to work through and I'm continuing to work through to get back to that. Um, Mm. And what makes me so sad, and this is going to be, I'm going to jump into a bigger shamanic concept is that I really believe, and this is something that has been evolved and expressed through many spiritualities, this idea that we come down here, uh, we choose to come down here as souls um, and as beings to bring something to the table. We come down here with a gift. We come down here with our own beautiful soul expression And it's our imperative, it's our duty, it's our responsibility to give that to the world, that the world desperately needs that, that special thing that only we can bring, that only you have this particular gift, this particular expression. And if you don't come down here and express it, then the world has lost that. Mm. And um, like, like every atom, every molecule, every plant, every animal being has a purpose. Everything animated in the physical world has a purpose and we have one too. Mm. And, um, I, I, my heart aches for how many of us are, are so disconnected from our heart, from our soul that we have lost touch with that, why we're here. And I, I think that's the, the best for me personally, that is the best way I could be spending my time Mm. is cultivating and bringing my soul's purpose out. And that will bring me the most fulfillment, meaning, clarity, joy. I think ultimately that's what we're all really hungry for. And in the great news about it is it's not selfish because by bringing your soul's purpose into the world, you're helping the world. And it's the only way you can help the world. Right, it's the best way to help the world. it helps other people also do that. <laughs> it, it Yes, and when mm-hmm. we awaken and allow our own light to shine, we give people the permission to do the same and it, and it just on it goes and it heals the web. And, um, we're just living in a world where it's really, for most of us, we don't know we're, we're so disconnected and so traumatized and so cut off from our inner selves that we can't tap into that. And we spend living these false lives. Um, and ultimately the world suffers because of that, you know, and once you die like that, that was your opportunity in this lifetime to bring that forward and there's, and I don't want to criticize people who aren't able to bring that forward. I have no anger or judgment towards you. I'm deeply saddened that we weren't able to see that. We mm-hmm. weren't given that gift and the world has suffered a loss. And so my biggest, my biggest goal in my life, one of the best things I could possibly do besides, you know, helping people as a doctor is to help people 
reconnect with that inner soul's purpose and help them get the tools and the help they need. Illness is a big distraction to that, can be, to to do their soul's purpose because we we desperately need it from everyone. We need everyone to stand up in their biggest, most radical authenticity and do what they're here to do. And I truly believe that if we can all do that, like literally anything's possible and that that we can fix everything. Um, but it requires each of us to do the hard work mm. of deprogramming our stories and our minds. It's the only work that's worth doing, and it is the most difficult work that you yeah. can ever do. It is a life's work. But you will suffer indefinitely until you at least start doing it. That's the thing. And what that is for every person is so individual that no one can even tell you what it is. Even if yeah. you have the most amazing spiritual yeah. mentor, they can all but guide you to figure it out for yeah. yourself. Yeah. But they can't really tell you. <laughs> and if they're telling you what your purpose is... Right. You're in some kind of weird Steer dynamic clear. that you should get out of yeah. immediately. And and the thing I always tell people is like, your soul's purpose is not, like my soul's purpose is not to be a doctor. There's, it's something so much more profound and deep than that. And mm. it's going to be hard putting into words. It's something probably ethereal, but like there's so many ways that we can express our soul's purpose. So mm. your soul's purpose, don't get caught up in the details. Your soul's purpose is not about, like I need to, my, my fate, my purpose mm. is to work at this retail job and then be a really good boss. Mm. You know, it's something much more profound than that. And there's going to be so many ways we can express that. And that's why that's the exciting part of it. You know, it's mm. not like people need to stress about figuring out what am I supposed to do? Right. It's that's really like yeah. the egoic, like yeah. expectations part, actually, if you're, if you're afraid yeah. and you're, what should I do? So yeah. the word you used, I really like excitement. Mm hmm. Yes. Right? Yeah. To be excited. I think that that is one of the best indicators of what your mm. soul's purpose is because mm -hmm. when you find things and of course we're always evolving. So that purpose is actually changing all the time as we grow. So it's not even yeah. always the same thing, yeah. but whatever excites us at that moment, meaning mm -hmm. like something like, Oh wow, that would be really cool. Yeah. But then usually if we've been uh, sufficiently indoctrinated, yeah. we just shoot that down. Like, yeah. Oh no, that wouldn't work. Yeah. Oh, that's not going to make money. Yeah. And we have all these ideals of, you know, what is the right way to live based on basically other people's expectations, societal expectations. Obviously, there's material concerns that you should be aware of unless you don't want to be. That's also yeah. that's yeah. also a path too. But what like excites us leads us. Yeah. And it's going to excite us and it's also going to terrify us mm. because we're going to see this is exciting and I could do this. And that's basically the journey into the unknown. Yeah. And it's the journey to where you haven't been. So yeah. it's uncomfortable. But when you're actually in that process, and I think it's more of a kind of a percentage for how much you could be living your soul's life. Maybe some person could be living 5%, somebody mm -hmm. 20%. Mm -hmm. And I think that that person's fulfillment and happiness yeah. is directly correlated. It's not like yeah. you're either living your soul's purpose or you're not. Yeah. It's like how much do you listen to soul's purpose? How much do you reflect mm. on what you really want? How much do you do what you know, excites you, that feels like it's fulfilling, that feels like it has meaning, that makes a difference for other people because yeah. we are fundamentally social creatures mm -hmm. and we want to contribute to the lives of people around us. Even if we don't know it, we're biologically wired to do that. Yeah. So if we don't do that, we're just screwed. And then there's this idea too that this might be controversial and this might be triggering for some people but that depression is actually a kind of selfishness, mm. that it's actually an indicator that 
we're so focused on ourselves mm-hmm. that we're not in tune with life anymore, that we're mm-hmm. not focused on what we can bring rather than what we can get. Mm-hmm. We see lack everywhere. We mm-hmm. see what we don't have. The more and more we focus on ourselves, the more and more we get depressed. Yeah. It's, and that's part of the healer um, archetype is that I think what, why a lot of uh, the reason why people are drawn to healing type of professions is because it actually heals you to heal other people. Yes. That it fundamentally does because you're focusing outside yeah. of yourself and you're learning from the outside environment. Yeah. It's not ego-focused. I love that. And I think the greatest way we can express our gifts will always both enrich us and help the world. And I wanted to go back to something you said mm-hmm. um, one, that our soul's purpose is not a destination. It's not like at one point, at some point, you're going to finally express it. Yeah, and you did it's, your soul's purpose. And right, done. and then you're done. No, it's it's an mm-hmm. everyday thing. It's it's emanating from you or should be every single day. It, it's a way of being in the world with yourself and giving what you're here to give every day. And, and even the steps you're taking to figure out what it is, that's part of it. Mm-hmm. And so I'd say that, don't get caught up in the destination. It's literally a way of being. And also I wanted to return to something. You were talking about excitement and that feeling. And I I wanted to uh, bring something to the table. Just this idea that there's a difference, shamanically speaking, between happiness and joy. Mm. And this is really interesting. And it was really profound to me when I thought about it that, and and I'm just going to present this. uh, It's, you know, you can take it what you will, but that happiness Happiness can be found through many ways. Someone, a drug addict who is on drugs, can be feeling happy at that moment. When you, We can feel happy when we indulge in things that are bad for us, that are bad for the world. We can feel happy when we do good things, too. Happiness is fleeting, and it's beautiful. And I have no judgment towards people who seek happiness. But that I believe that when we are in expressing our soul's purpose and our, our soul's meaning and authenticity, we feel something different. And I would say that that's joy. Mm. And joy can, can come through in so many things. It can come through in little moments. It can come through in really big things. And in, it can even come through in times when we're suffering, when we feel pain. I know that there have been moments when I have felt so deeply connected to why I'm here that have also been moments of great pain and agony. So moments of clarity around some of the great suffering of the world and how, how lost we are as a species and also my, my role in helping to try to help that have brought me and, and memories from other lifetimes and, and other moments, you know, it's, these have been moments that have been, very painful and very hard to sit with. But at a Mm. deeper level, when I had that clarity, I felt joy because I knew that this was tied into why I'm here. And there was something much more profound and much more deep coming through me. And so I would, I would um, invite the listeners and all of us to think about the difference between happiness, which is, and that deeper almost stimulation, stimulation, like passion and stimulated kind of, Oh yes, this is good type of yeah. That's like yeah, fleeting stimulated happiness, which Mm -hmm. you know you can force your body to feel by taking Mm -hmm. drugs. You can you can do all sorts of things to make you happy, but joy is that rich, Mm -hmm. ineffable, sorry, ineffable, 
deep spiritual level of clarity, connection, and meaning. Mm. And I, that's why I'm so, such a big proponent of spirituality because I want people to feel that and to touch into something bigger than them. And ultimately Mm. giving your soul's purpose to the world is part of the world. It's part of the great spirit healing Mm. itself. It's, it's truly beyond words in terms of its profoundness and how important it is. And when you feel that, not on an intellectual level, get out of your minds, when you feel that in your being, when you let it to come through you, it's, it's probably for me, the, the greatest thing I could feel down here. And I, I'm always trying to cultivate moments where I can connect with that deep soul mm. joy. Yeah. Yeah. Joseph Campbell says, follow your bliss. Follow your bliss. And follow your joy. Only, uh, walls. <laughs> yeah. And that's a good word. Cause it hasn't, bliss doesn't really have many connotations because it's not a, uh, often used word. Um, for me, the way you describe joy is synonymous to me with fulfillment Mm. and fulfillment is in spite of happiness and sadness. Actually, Mm. the way that I describe it is you had a long day, you worked all day, you're very tired, you're laying in bed, but you still feel good. You mm. feel good about your life. You feel like something happened that was worthwhile. You feel like you're moving towards something good. You might be tired, but there's that's a different kind of joy. It's not like a it's not a like a happiness, like a you don't necessarily have to be booming with energy, but you know like you feel that you did what you needed to do. Yeah. And you're actually fundamentally just okay with everything. Like in a more positive sense than that. Like Everything is as it should be, kind yeah. of, and there's nothing left undone. Yeah. And that's that's a really powerful feeling, and yeah. it's, it's something that one has to constantly seek, yeah, and see how it changes and what kind of things lead us to that and don't lead us to that. Yeah. Like I've had this experience with different things I've done, um, certain like teaching events or or workshops uh, that I did, um, and other things that I got involved in that I had all these ideas of, you know, how it would feel to actually do it. But when I was in it, I was like, wow, this is like way more amazing than I could have imagined. Like, I feel so just like happy to be part of this. And looking back on it, I, I realized these feelings of kind of joint fulfillment, these are my guiding posts. I need to mm. do more of these things mm. and stop thinking that I should do the things that I should do and just do more of the things that actually bring me that fulfillment. And there's going to be work to do them. And there's going to be struggle. And there's going to be pain. There's going to be resistance. You're going to fail three times, get up four. Uh, that is all part of it. And I think it's really important also to bring in the whole shadow side of life, right? Yeah. Because that's like the neglected, repressed side. Yeah. We are also all of those things that we would wish that we are not. Yeah. And the more we resist those, the more disconnected they become from ourselves. And instead of giving us the the healing energy and also the the ability to do the things we need to do we kind of lose our way um for example like if somebody falls into like a negative mind state the first inclination at least for me maybe for other people as well to what i've uh experienced is they'll feel that there's something wrong with them Mm. that they're not doing something right that you know something's fundamentally off with me and you know it's my fault rather than seeing this as a opportunity of like, why is this happening and where do I grow to? Because it's an interesting phenomenon that 
usually after the darkest period of our lives are the actually the greatest periods of growth mm-hmm. afterwards that when we look back we're like wow that sucked but i wouldn't be who i was today without that and actually that made me so much better of of a person so much deeper so much wiser so we need those experiences so i think it's really important to normalize not feeling happy all the time yeah it's not natural to feel happy all the time like yeah. Uh, the negative emotions are also there for a reason. They also have a lesson to, to show us, and they have their own purpose. And I think it's it's so important to allow them to show what their purpose is. Mm. Um, and you know, as we've become larger and larger as a society, and those values have been pushed forward, certain emotions are just held as inherently bad, like anger or something like that, or you know, sadness. They're just just avoid at all costs. But that's like, uh, you know, avoiding your one of your legs and one of your arms and trying to, you know, yeah. run around the world yeah. and do your thing. And it's um, it, in sitting with and welcoming and embracing all the experiences you're having down here, you will find your way. And it's not to say that we're cultivating anger. It's not what I want to do. But repressing these things, all of these emotions, emotions are so profound in telling us where we are in our journey, Mm -hmm. what we're in relationship with, how we're in relationship with ourselves. Emotions, they're gifts, they're invitations Mm -hmm. to reconnect with ourselves and where we are in our life in the world. And so I I would ask and invite all the listeners, wherever you are, to just have compassion and realize that the the path is before you um, and that a great place to start is just a, the only place to start is exactly where you are and that um, whatever you're repressing, whatever you're scared of or fearful of, that these can be the biggest doorways into growth and getting to that place of purpose and fulfillment. Um, and yeah, that feels like, yeah, feels like we've brought forward some, some amazing things and, um, and these things aren't easy. And I will tell everyone who starts doing a spiritual journey or shamanic work that there's a lot of darkness in it. If you're, <laughs> if you're starting your spiritual journey or sp- starting shamanic work, expecting, things to feel comfortable. <laughs> I, I can tell you, you will be gravely, gravely yeah, stay, disappointed. Stay away from that path yeah. if you're looking for comfort. It's no. not the way to be comfortable. No. But if you're, <laughs> if you're seeking to find profound meaning, context in your life, profound healing, clarity around what you're here to do and how to get there and how to figure out all the details in between, then come and and see what see what's waiting for you and mm. uh, the good news is you're not alone there are beings out there that will help you there are people and teachers out there that will help you and that we're all in this work together whether we're aware of it or not so um yeah so just there's that invitation and that call for you wherever you are in your journey um and yeah. your spirit is always trying to communicate with you just always. very very whispers. Yeah. You know, you got to yeah. kind of let your mind get quiet for a couple of minutes to see like 
oh, everything's actually all right. Yeah. Like all these problems I thought, are, there's nothing to think them through. They just don't even, they're just like clouds, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I wonder, what like Myers-Briggs type do you consider yourself to be? Because oh, like we, we are definitely on the same wavelength in, yeah. in terms of like feel, like tending to feel things. Mm. So I'm just wondering what you consider yourself as and if it may be these ideas would be like fundamentally differently perceived by somebody who doesn't mm. come from that angle of like feeling the world. Then maybe they think about the world. Yeah, that's a good Maybe they point. sense the world. Well, I mean, correlationally, I'm, I think the most times I've taken that a quiz and I've never really looked into it enough. Um, I've been like an ENFJ, I believe. Um, ENFJ. Yeah. And I, I can't tell you much about that I think you'd be more suited. Maybe we can do another episode about yeah. Myers Briggs and personality archetypes. I love talking about that stuff. But um, definitely the the <laughs> intuition, the N and the F feeling, because that's yeah. like the quintessential mystic type, if there was to be <laughs> any, or the predilection towards like more mystical ideas. Yeah, because some people <laughs> might be like, "Oh, all this shamanism and stuff, just go to work and stop wasting right, your time." Right. And it's like that's also a valid point of view. Yeah. Because they find fulfillment in right. their just immediate yeah. experience of life. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I want but this speech <laughs> is for people who who vibe and resonate with that kind of thing. Because it's it's not for everybody. And yeah. I don't think everybody should be... Yeah. There's not like a right way to live life. And no. I think our personality type defines yeah. the way that we can be fulfilled. But the thing remains, you know, what you love doing, what excites you, what brings you fulfillment. That is a goal worth striving for, no matter what, you know constitutional type you might be yeah totally and and i'll say this as someone who loves shamanism and loves the shamanic techniques for ever for everything <laughs> um i will say that um it is it can be very practical and if you're intimidated by the mysticism uh that this conversation has held um i'd first say that Follow your instinct, follow your gut, follow what feels right. And if shamanism is not your route to spirituality or healing, then I'm so glad you're aware of that. And I would never want you to do something that doesn't resonate. And also, um, for those that are interested or still not sure, I would say that, um, that shamanism for me and for many people works regardless of how spiritual we consider ourselves to be. Um, and that these tools and techniques are easy. Well, they don't feel comfortable, but they're they're accessible. They're simple. They're simple. They work. But they're difficult. I mean, literally just sitting for and thousands of years. Being aware of your breath is right. simple, right? But incredibly difficult, actually. Yeah. And <laughs> so all of the, you know these things are simple, and and they can they can be modified in such a way to fit your lifestyle and. Um, and so I'm a huge proponent of it, and um, I will definitely leave some links in the description for those who are interested. Anyone at any time can reach out to me or go to my teacher's website, which is probably where I'll redirect you anyway, um, to learn more. And there's a million other resources about shamanism that I can share a few of. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we've talked about some amazing things. I'm feeling like a, a closing here. I want to want to close up and i'm excited to dive into topics many more topics in the future and i'm so grateful to everyone who's listening um 
all the things you were present for and I, I wish you the best on your journey and if I can be a part of that amazing I'm super excited about that and I just want to take a moment to uh to thank my teachers to Jay Medina to the my ancestors to my helping spirits and to the the people the mainly indigenous people who've brought and carried the wisdom that has, has brought so much to my life um, and has carried this medicine throughout time. And I just want to honor them and honor those people who are still alive today and who we can be in good relationship with and who can help us change our lives. And I'm just grateful to all the, the allies that I have in spirit and physically. And um, truly, like I am, I'm just a vessel for the wisdom that they have taught me. And uh, it's just coming through me. I'm I'm the tool, but um, it's not. It's wisdom that has has come through me and has been taught to me. But um, I'm just the holder, and I'm trying to pass it on in a good way. So, right. Thank yeah, you. We all are. Yeah. Our ways. yeah. Thank you for uh, being on the Herbal Hour, dude. Thank you. Really for, appreciated the you conversation. Yeah. Of going deep into these things. Me so. too. There's many more things to speak about, so I'll definitely be sending you some information. Definitely. Coming back on. Thank you, Miles. Yeah, thank you.